Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Out of the gates and ready to go, and it's finally here. Friday edition of Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. No, Chad and I did not plan to wear the same color shirt. I'm just now realizing that as I see it on the screen. But it is Friday, and we have a great show planned. Danny Cannell will be with us in 20 minutes. Much to discuss with his take on name, image, likeness, and the evaluation and valuation of players in college football specifically and where the number is on how much money they are or are not making. Big discussion there. Plus, Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. He will be with us in hour number two. And Chad brings his top five shows that you must watch. That's coming up in hour three. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, it's like we're Tiger Woods on Sunday, wearing the Sunday red right now. We're also blending in with the hot mic theme, color of red? fire. Yours is more salmon. Mine, mine is straight red. So yeah. it does look like, in the, it looks the same in the lights, but as I look at yours right now, it's actually very different. So what we've done here is created sort of an optical illusion, and that's the perfect We're way to roll into the weekend. We want to trick you the magic as show. we go into the weekend. Nothing tricking you, though, about the weekend having arrived right now, just the colors of our shirt blending together. That will fool you. Are we being fooled with the number one overall pick in this month's draft for the NFL? I think that because Vegas lines have shifted so much, Vegas may have fooled people with throughout this, with C.J. Stroud being the favorite, and then it's shifting back, and now Bryce Young is the overwhelming favorite. Bryce Young's going to be the number one overall pick. That that is what I'm going to decree right here, no, right now. We could have decreed this in December. Yes, and that was uh, we discussed the cyclical reporting of this. Yep. And here we are. Now, the cyclical reporting, the, the one difference is when Vegas gets involved and starts shifting it based on reports, it can be a little bit different. Bryce Young's my number one pick throughout last fall. I, I thought he should be the number one yeah, pick. I and I, I still feel that way about Carolina. But now I am here to decree on this Friday, as we are now 13 days away from the first round. Yep. Bryce Young is the pick. You can place your money and lose it on whatever other quarterback or player you want to as number one overall pick if you so choose to place a bet on it. But I'm telling you right now, it's Bryce Young. It was always Bryce Young. It's going to be Bryce Young to the Panthers. That's why they traded up to number one to draft him. And Bryce Young is the correct pick. He is the best quarterback of this group, and he is going to be the best pro. I don't care if this is played back by cold takes exposed years from now. Bryce Young's the best quarterback in this class, and the Panthers are going to do the right thing and draft their franchise quarterback, and that franchise quarterback will be Alabama's Bryce Young. Well, and Schefter has even said that Bryce Young visiting the Texans is a waste of time. Think about that. And the Texans love the guy. They want Bryce Young. I think that's clear. John McClain comes on with us weekly. From Houston, he says, yeah, they, Bryce Young's going to be the pick in the mock drafts. Well, not, even, not if Carolina takes him. And when you think about why Houston has the number two pick, the fact that... They could have Bryce Young if they 
they lost went, like they, they should have lost. Well, they went for two in the win. That's how they have the number two pick. They went for two and got the two-point conversion instead of going to overtime. And they ended up with the two pick because Chicago had a worse record based on the fact that they lost the final week of the season and the Texans didn't. It's, what a parting gift for a coach that knew he was out. It's horrific if you're the Texans because when John McClain's saying it, we know he's got the pulse of what's going on with the Texans. Of course they want Bryce Young to fall to them because Bryce Young's the best quarterback in this, in this draft class and he's going to be the number one overall pick. That's why the Panthers traded up to go get their guy, and I believe that guy is going to be Bryce Young. Chad, Anthony Richardson penned a letter, and he did this open letter through the Players' Tribune. And, you know, the headline at OutKick, it's an odd open letter to NFL coaches. I don't think so. I don't know anything about this guy. And you know as well as anyone that I'm not – I wasn't high on him at Florida last year. I think he should have returned for another season – uh, but more power to him because he's being debated as the, the third quarterback. Some have him in mocks as the second quarterback. In the mock we did last month, I put him number one overall because I think someone's going to fall in love with the athleticism. And I don't put it past the, past the Panthers to be that team with the, the ownership wanting the franchise QB and the superstar. Point being, the fact that he's putting out there uh, to teams, hey, my dream's always been to, to be in the NFL. Some say I should have returned. I didn't... I, I want to achieve my dream, and I want to earn it. And then he goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, hey, uh, I don't hear all the hype. I don't listen to the hype, but I do hear my critics. There have been plenty of those, and I'm raising my hand right now and saying I'm one of them from last year at Florida. Way too inconsistent from what I saw. But man, does he have a huge ceiling. And with that type of attitude and perception on where he is versus where he wants to go, I don't view the other quarterbacks the same way as far as the, what he has to prove. We, we talked with Cynthia Freeland yesterday. Whatever you're doing, these, uh, the, the, the analytics from college football, there's a lot that you can dive into and dissect from the other three quarterbacks that we're really discussing. Even Hendon Hooker, the first-round quarterback. Not much with Anthony Richardson. I mean, he wasn't even the sole starter for Dan Mullen. And now we're talking about a franchise quarterback with investments being made to move up ahead of Indianapolis in order to draft him. And if he's doing this and pinning this open letter, think about what he's portraying and how he comes across behind the scenes in meetings, in, in these private meetings that he's taking, and the, the, the 30 visits that teams can have. I love this. I think this is, a, this is so much better than just doing something on social media or making the rounds for interviews. I really like the letter also. And if you watch, I'm going to talk about later with my shows that I'm paying attention to right now, this on-the-clock show that's done by the Manning family with the quarterback prospects. Yeah. When you watch the meeting rooms at the Manning Passing Academy where Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, other quarterbacks are there, you can see Anthony Richardson really paying attention and note-taking and doing all this. It's just something that I noticed the body language of him in those meetings, and that, that part impressed me. A couple of interesting takeaways, though, reading that entire letter. One, he talks a lot more about Dan Mullen, who did not start him, mm -hmm. as opposed to Billy Napier, who did start him. 
and even puts in a personal anecdote about what Dan Mullen taught him. I found that interesting. Now, he did commit to Dan Mullen. That was the coach he went to Florida to play for. But that was interesting. I'm not trying to say he doesn't like Billy Napier or any of that. I just found that part interesting that he's quoting the coach, what he would tell him and what he learned from him, and that was the coach who didn't see fit to start him over Emory Jones when he was at Florida. The other thing that I noted was he did a good job of laying out the excuses for him without making them an excuse. He listed the different offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, systems that he had, or different coaching changes over the years while he was at Florida. He also said, I didn't have the money or the time with my mom raising me to go to these camps that a lot of kids did. So I'm not as well-versed as other players going into the college game where they go to 40 camps over the summer with some of the top prospects. Again, I got no issue with that. I just found that those – three things interesting yeah. as to what he listed as some possible reasons for his inconsistency in his college career. He wrote, and, and by the way, the, 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 one of the reasons I like this is you can tell he wrote this. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is not drafted by an agent. I know the things people are picking apart. People talk about whether I can be accurate. They say I don't have touch. They say I can't throw short. All I got to say is watch how hard I work. In my mind, I can do anything with the football in my hand, but I know that no one will ever work harder than me to improve. And he continues to write, I know a lot of y'all want to know if I'm ready to step on a professional team. I keep hearing that the NFL isn't like college. It's a different level. It's more mental. Nothing's going to be handed to you. I can tell you right now, if that's what it takes, then I'm ready. All due respect, that's nothing new for me. It's the same in life. If you want to eat, you got to work for it. I know all about that. And yeah, I may not pay attention to the noise, but I do hear the critics. I love that. Um, I'm not saying like I would draft him ahead of Bryce Young, but you definitely, if you're trading up for a guy that is a year away in your mind, but he's the future, you need this type of assurance that he's not going to bust out. And I mean, of all the busts that we'll see, and maybe he's one of them, it's not going to be because the guy just laid up and didn't show up. And there may be a front office or a coaching staff saying, he doesn't need a year. With a couple of tweaks, we can, we, can, we can make an offense work around this guy, and we understand what it'll take to make him successful. I don't think that's the case. I, I believe he's a year away from being a starter. But you never know. It takes one team to say, no. We can get this guy ready for this fall yeah. to be the starter for our team. And I, I'm a believer in if you're trading up for a quarterback, he's starting. Absolutely. For the investment being made, which means – Bryce most, Young is starting. Yeah, But, yes. Uh, but, really, the four we're in discussion with should be starting. There's a chance we see all four off the board in the first four picks. I, I, I agree. I think the least likely to start of the four is, is pr- probably Richardson. probably Richardson – Maybe Levis, depending on team that drafts him. If Levis is the fourth guy, it depends on which team drafts him in their situation where he may be, there may be a short bridge to get to Will Levis as the starter, and he doesn't start right away. Chad, what was your theory on the Schefter tweet yesterday involving the commanders and how it was worded? I, I think that if you're a big newsbreaker in any sport, that all you just, here's my report. Like, no one ever can just defer to the report. The, the report was correct. And Schefter had to come back and say, while it looks like this is going to happen, here's the exact wording. 
The Josh Harris Group has reached a preliminary agreement to buy the Commanders. It is not exclusive, and the deal is not signed. And the group led by Steve Apostolopoulos is still involved in the process. This is a look-at-me post. I know someone else broke this story, but I have more news, even if it's not really news, and I can word it in a way that I'm not going to be wrong either way. And that's what he did. And there's been no update to the story from yesterday involving Josh Harris, his ownership group, uh, which also includes another billionaire. Uh, it's not just Josh Harris, the billionaire. And the, the sale to the Harris group of the commanders from Dan Snyder. There's not been further reporting about uh, the uh, Apostolopoulos, yeah. uh, the Canadian billionaire, coming in and swooping in and offering more. We have not seen that. I just don't even think that's worthy of a tweet. I just think that if you're Adam Schefter and you make the money Adam Schefter does for ESPN to be a newsbreaker in the NFL, he feels compelled to put something out there. So he went. I, I believe he went to a source either with the Canadian billionaires group or someone else with the commanders and just decided to put out a tweet saying, well, the deal's not signed by both sides yet, even though he knows it's done. And guess what happened? It finished. It's done. There was no other offer that was pending. The deal went through just as was first reported by someone other than Adam Schefter. Chad, the NBA has fined the Dallas Mavericks $750,000 for resting their key players for that game that was a must win if they wanted to keep playoff hopes alive, for conduct detrimental to the league, and for failing their fans. Would this have been different if they win the game? No. Because they lost by three. And they I, had don't, three I don't they think had three it should have been different. They had three shots at the end, a chance to tie and missed all three. The only way to send a message on this also, you're not going to send a message by fining Mark Cuban $750,000. The only way to send a message, if you really wanted to, is to take away the thing they were trying to gain by doing this, whatever that thing is. Well, a first-round pick. But it's not, uh, uh, it's not guaranteed yet, though, because right. it could be the Knicks. Right. But – you could have you could have waited yeah. to see what happens and then eliminated that and just continue to investigate. I'm not saying they should have done that. That feels a little extreme to me, but I also snicker at a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar fine and no further punishment to an NBA team. That's a nothing. That's a nothing punishment to to this team. And if they won, I don't think the. I really don't believe that it should have changed. Now, if they won, Mark Cuban could easily argue if he wanted to counter or appeal and say, we did what was best for the team, as evidenced by the fact we won the game. No, they didn't win. I know. I'm saying if they won. Oh. You're saying, would it, would it have been different if they won? Because they almost did. Yeah. Even doing that. And they led I'm by 13 saying at halftime. They still should have been punished. But if you're Mark Cuban, you could come back and argue some sort of strategic thing where, well, we still won the game, so that's why we did it. And, he, and Cuban has been fined in the past. I, like half a million, I believe, for admitting that the Mavs were tanking at the end of a season. And in this case, they just announced who was not going to play and that Luka was only going to be in for a quarter. And he played like the like first minute of the second quarter, they, they sat him after that. And again, they, it's conduct detrimental to the league and the, it, it hurts the integrity of the league is what Joe D Dumars wrote. Um, but, I mean, it was a three-point game. That's also detrimental to the league. The fact you can sit the players. 
And uh, detrimental to the Mavs was playing that lineup that they sat. They were like two and eight over their last 10 games going into that game. So that would be the other argument. Hey, we sucked either way. So if you want to talk about like losing on purpose, we were doing that. If we wanted to lose, let's just play the guys we were playing. We were doing a pretty good job of that. Yeah, no issues. No issues with Kyrie Irving on the court losing games when we did that. Is Mark Cuban still a good owner? Yeah, I mean, he traded for – he traded – he paid Luka. He traded for Kyrie. Yes. I mean, he invests in that team he and that He invests for sure. But, I mean, is it good? I mean, this is the question that people ask about Jerry Jones. I mean, at some point when you don't win for a long time and the big moves you make don't pay off because it was a disaster. I know what he's trying to do with Kyrie Irving, but it failed miserably. And you're going to take yeah. big swings and fail, but I'm trying to think of the last huge success for Mark Cuban other than bringing on Luka Doncic oh, and well, making sure to sign him. But they put pieces around Dirk and won. They won a title, yeah. But I, I just, I, I'm just asking the question, is he still a great owner? I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Well, Talking on. openly about tanking and now this. But, I mean, he's just straightforward and honest about it. I don't think he's the only owner that's doing that behind the scenes. He's just not doing it behind the scenes. I respect that. I don't say I'm agreeing with what he did. I don't, I don't respect him anymore, frankly. I, I, I don't think if you're playing – I understand tanking when he said earlier, yeah, we're not going to be in the playoffs, no chance. So we're tanking to get what we can in the draft. Yeah. I understand that. But when you, you're mathematically alive for a playoff spot and you're ahead – by 13 at halftime. I, without, I can't, without playing the people. I can't respect that, that move. I'm not for. saying that I'm out on Mark Cuban as an owner forever, but I cannot respect that move. So the, the Mavs have a, they owe a top 10 protected pick to New York. That's the final piece to the trade for Porzingis whenever they made that deal. Uh, the loss to the Bulls broke a tie between the teams for the 10th best odds in the draft lottery. So that's why they did that. And it came, it, I don't think there's any coincidence that 24 hours, less than 24 hours, after the league said, you know what, uh, in, in regards to the Golden State deal, we're, we're not going to overturn that. We're not going to hear this. Like, it's a loss. And so the Mavs kept losing after that. And he tried to assure, Jason Kidd was not happy about it. He's like, look, I had to talk with the team. It's you know, it, it comes across as waving the white flag, but this is what's best for the future of the organization, is yeah. that pick. Now, how, how often do the top ten picks work out in the league? It's a league that's got issues. Yes. It's a league that's got issues, well but I, I, don't, I do not believe that Mark Cuban, even if he is, and I'm sure he's mad about the lack of appeal being heard about what happened in the Warriors game. I, I don't think you lash out by, you know, sacrificing your own team. At halftime of a game, you're ahead when you have a chance to play us. Coming up, Danny Cannell joins us. We get his take on the fair, the fair value of NIL and what players are said to be making if they were hitting the transfer portal. We'll get his take on that. That's next on Hot Mike. If you followed me throughout the years, you know I'm a South Dakota girl at heart who grew up in a ranching family. And I know that America First isn't just a political movement. It's a kitchen table issue, literally. 
You know, I always support American family-owned companies, ranchers and farmers who put high-quality meat products on the tables of their fellow Americans. And my friends at Omaha Steaks are the experts. With Father's Day right around the corner, what better gift to give dad than the experience of world-class Omaha Steaks? This package includes a mouth-watering assortment of dad's grilling favorites like Omaha Steaks Butcher's Cut Top Sirloins, Juicy Boneless Pork Chops, Deli-Style Gourmet Jumbo Franks, and their legendary Omaha Steaks burgers go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code outkick at checkout get mouth-watering gift packages starting at just 99 dollars. and as a bonus use promo code outkick to get 10 dollars off your order Friday edition of Hot Mike. Glad you're with us and pleased to be joined by Danny Cannell. Always a great conversation around college football and more. Danny, hope things are well. I am great. I'm not that far from some pretty insane flooding. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. There was a bunch of like storms that came through. I don't know if you guys followed it. I know it made some national news. Thankfully, family's good. I know there were some cars stranded, um, you know, on the on looked like zombie land. If you saw some videos there with cars just stranded, but weather's cleared up. I'm in Delray, a little bit further north. Things are good, man. Fired up for the weekend. Yeah, I was actually so uh, talking with Clay earlier this week. He was flying into Fort Lauderdale and he was in the air trying to land whenever they diverted. He had to rent a car and he was driving, believe it or not, three and a half hours. Uh, he didn't have the driver this time. But yeah, we were chatting about how bad the weather was. So I hope yeah, things are well with nasty. everyone you know there. Beautiful now, though. Beautiful yeah. now. I'm surprised Clay didn't have that private. I'm sure, well, maybe the private airport was shut down, too. <laughs> He's been teasing a private jet for years. Yeah. He's yet to follow I'm through sure. on it. But uh, we'll, we'll see if he finally <laughs> makes that a reality. So, Danny, I'm looking down at Twitter earlier this week, and I, I see your tweet about NIL valuations. And then our buddy, Shannon Terry, chimes in. Uh, because on three is the industry of NIL valuations and what they're doing. And you guys had a very civil back and forth about the market and about what player expectations may be and what collectives do in this process and and everything else. If you can, just kind of take us through your opinion on what these valuations mean or what they don't mean in terms of reality. So... I think it's an incredible crapshoot. And I know Sharon would disagree with that and say they've put a lot of, uh, you know, effort and time into trying to come up with valuations that are as, you know, close to accurate as possible. But I almost feel like it's like following the crypto market over the last few years. Like, you know, it can be pegged as one thing. And just when you think you have a beat on it, you might see something completely, you know, derail that market. And the argument I was making with Shannon was they're trying to put consistent values in a marketplace that is incredibly inefficient because really what players are valued at is whatever a school is willing to pay them, right? Or a collective is willing to pay them. And you might have somebody who's incredibly undervalued that not a lot of people are paying attention to, doesn't have a big social media following and a school recognizes that talent then they back up the truck and we might not even know about it. And in some cases, and I think this is the one that probably bothers me the most. I'm like, In the big picture, does it hurt anybody? No, but I think it leads to some incredible disappointment on players' behalves, because I guarantee you, college athletes go on the On3 website, they start looking up their values, and they say, wait a second, this site says I'm worth 100 grand. Why Why aren't I getting 100 grand? Or this site says I should be worth 
750 grand. Where's my money? And I think more often than not, most cases, you're going to see disappointed players wondering why they're not getting what they're valued at, this made-up value, and you know, leaving a little disgruntled or, in the worst-case scenario, shopping around, leaving a place to go find that value, which may or may not exist on the open market with real dollars. So I think players absolutely are doing that. I think you know, On3 even offers a player um, database where they can go and you can have a subscription to it and see even more information about that. So I, I think they are looking at what their projected value is. Here's what I'd like to see, Danny, and I want to know what you think about this. I think there are different valuations for a player based on where they go. And I understand why On3 doesn't want to get into this because they can't look as if they're trying to convince a player to go to one school over the other. But if you are a five-star quarterback from Tallahassee and you go to Florida State, you're more valuable in NIL than if you go to Ohio State and sit on the bench for a year or two. Or if you're from Knoxville and you stay home and go to Tennessee with locally owned businesses, your NIL valuation is more than if you go to Michigan, as an example. So I don't think it's the same everywhere, and I don't know that we're ever really going to see that value from school to school. No, I don't think you will either. And it kind of what you're the examples you're giving are why it's almost impossible to put accurate assessments on where you think each player is valued. Um, I, I, I look at this whole thing and I, I, I get it. You know, like we got into it. I disagree with some of the valuations. You know what the wild thing to me is in five years, maybe, you know, maybe sooner, maybe later, maybe 10 years when players are truly employees, which I do think is coming. I don't, I think the courts are going to decide that for us as much as people are going to try to fight it, but you'll see players paid as employees kind of like the NFL and professional athletes. We won't, we won't be talking about this at all. Like it is kind of a dumb thing. Like we don't talk about Patrick Mahomes. What's his NIL value because he gets a salary from the chiefs that we all know that's publicly available. And then he has marketing deals, which are what essentially NIL is supposed to be. Now the thing where it gets tricky. And I think this is the challenge is we're trying to peg NIL values as similar to what a player's salary is worth. But again, it kind of goes, it's much bigger than what your brand is worth. It's what our collectives willing to pay you to play, which is not supposed to happen, but we're all smart enough. We're not naive. We know that schools are paying the players and the collectives are paying the players to provide a service on the field. But ultimately, like in the end, five, 10 years down the road, I don't even think we'll be talking about NIL values because those will just be marketing deals and no one really will care about them. The only reason we care about them right now is because it's the only way players can make money and it's so new and we're trying to figure out what is a player worth and schools don't want to overpay. Players don't want to play for less. And so it's like, it's this very confusing time. You know what set me off? I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this because the tweet that set me off and there have been a bunch out there like over the course of the last year or two was the Angel Reese tweet. And it said Angel Reese's NIL valuation, according to On3, was $1.3 million. That wasn't necessarily the one, because I think that's a guess. She hasn't signed any deals yet, to my knowledge. So it's a guess of what her projected valuation could be. But it said, because of the NCAA tournament, which she no doubt her profile grew 10x, maybe 50x. Like, I don't think many people knew who Angel Reese was before that tournament in the back and forth with Caitlin Clark. But the, the thing that got me was it said before the NCAA tournament, her valuation was at 375000 Do you guys think in any world that Angel Reese is worth 
375,000 or had made 375,000 just based on our career to date at LSU. Like, I think that was an astronomical number. Now the 1.3 now may actually be underselling her of what she could capitalize on from that championship run. But like, there's a laundry list of players just because they have social followings or because they've, you know, played a certain amount. I just thought that was an unrealistic number. That's one of the reasons it set me off. Well, I, to answer your question, I, th- I think it's two different things, right? Angel Reese in no way is worth $375,000 to LSU to pay her to play women's basketball. That's just the reality of the, the sport. It, that, it's not about the pay for play. There are football and men's basketball players probably worth that to their university for strictly pay for play. But what Angel Reese is is exactly what Livy Dunn is at LSU. The, the epitome of what NIL was actually supposed to be. She gained millions of yeah. followers. So her marketing ability now to market products through her social media probably did go from, I, I don't think it was 375 before, to your point, Danny, but it did go through the roof because people yeah. know her now because the NCAA tournament. So you hit on it. We've gotten away from the initial push of what NIL was supposed to be, and we knew it would happen immediately from you can capitalize on your name, image, likeness to now you can capitalize on your ability because schools are going to pay you to just to play for them and not endorse anything. Just come and play for the right. school and you're going to get money for that. And this is the backdoor way for us to do that. So it's two separate pods we're talking about. Totally, totally different. And you're 100% right. And that was kind of the thing that set me off again was like, Angel Reese might be undervalued at 1.2. She might be able to really capitalize this, get some major deals, but I don't think she was accurately assessed at the 375 number before. Um, just it's fascinating the way all this is unfolding in the sport. I mean, and schools are struggling, especially some. I mean, I, I know I'm a Florida State Seminole, but the Florida Collective was an absolute disaster with the Jaden Rashada scandal. And that was one where I was going to go back and Shannon and say, well, what was your value on Jaden Rashada? Of course, the quarterback who was supposed to go to Florida with this $13 million deal that had been reported, then it falls through. He ends up going to Arizona State, and Kenny Dillingham told me he swore up and down he didn't get anything to play there. So you went from $13 million to zero. That's a player that I think has got to be like the worst example of how messed up and flawed our system is. And then just the other day, I'm reading how the Florida Collective has been, like it's changed hands. They're trying to revamp it. They're trying to structure it better with the school. And I think that if you pay attention to what's happening, I do think what you'll see, and we saw, I don't know if you guys saw the story, what happened to Villanova, this Taylor Dunleavy, who was a college basketball coach at Quinnipiac. Then he comes back to Villanova where he served on the staff and he's the general manager, which a lot of, of the basketball men and women's basketball programs. Now we see general managers for the past five years. My guy, Barton Simmons, you guys know him for Vanderbilt. Yep. He's their general manager. But he was more general manager, is general manager in the truest sense of monitoring the roster, scouting talent, making sure the roster spots are balanced out positionally. This Taylor Dunleavy was installed. And I think George actually hired somebody in the same position, was a general manager. And part of the job description is to orchestrate correctly value NIL and to make sure athletes are maximizing their brand potential. I mean, it is on there on the job description hired by the school. It's going to be a position you're going to start seeing crop up, which I do think will lead to a healthier landscape because we've got these collectives, which are run by boosters and people who want to feel powerful. They're playing the role of GM without a lot of consultation from the team because they're not allowed to. So they might really want this five-star offensive line and this tackle, but the coaching staff is like, 
man, we're already pretty good at right tackle. We need a receiver. We'd rather spend that money, spend our time recruiting a different player. And that lack of continuity, I think, is more problematic than anything. But I hopefully we get some continuity with the conversations that teams are having so it can flow a little bit smoother and you don't see disasters like the Jaden Rashada situation. Well, I mean, you asked, like, what what would Shannon say about that? We asked him about the Jaden Rashada offer, and he's like, look, that's BS, the, the, the whole 13 million. This was whenever the, the reports were out that he was, going, he was actually going to get it, you know? And he, he just he looked at... He's like, look up what Arch Manning is on, on, on three. Arch Manning has a value of three and a half million. Um, 3.8, actually. And they base that on the, like, you can go to a website and see what your social following is worth by typing in your own Twitter handle or your Instagram. So there is a value of that, and they factor that into the brand and the marketing and everything else behind it. But it's nowhere close to what Rashada was going to get. And he, I mean, you're right. He doesn't, I, he wasn't getting anything at Florida either which is why he left. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly where the line is, Danny, on, and I love this conversation. I think the vast majority of the players are getting a true valuation of what they're putting out there at on three. I really do. The, the, what, what do you think the average player makes? Not the top end. I think we're always looking at the top end. Well, like, what what would your value have been? Like, I, I, you had to have thought about this. If you're playing today I mean, with your teams yeah. that won, you you were a great quarterback. Well, I mean, what what would that be? What would the value be at Florida State for a Danny Cannell if he's playing in 2023? Um, it would have been similar to what you know Bryce Young got, whatever he got. So we don't know really, but you know, in the yeah. million dollar, probably a seven figure range. I mean, we were ranked number one in the preseason. You know, we never were outside of the top five. We played on national TV. I actually haven't thought about it that much. Like I was never one that felt exploited at Florida state. Like I know a lot of people would say, Oh, I looked up in the stands and I saw my Jersey and I thought, where's my piece of the pie? Where's my money? I looked up in the stands and saw a Canel jersey. I was like, this is awesome. This is a dream that I've been trying to achieve. And how cool is it yeah. that somebody wants to wear my number? Like, that's the way I looked at it and thought, maybe if I'm good enough, I'll be able to play in the NFL. And that's where I'll get paid. Now, the disparity, this is where I've kind of evolved. Like, the disparity, you know, Coach Bowden, I think, was one of the first million-dollar coaches. And it was a big deal. And this was only 25 years ago, 30 years ago. So, like, it's gotten out of control where that disparity the value of a degree and an education and the, what you could possibly earn as a coach or a player. There's just such a ginormous amount of a pool of money that we can take from that. It's like, okay, at some point it becomes ridiculous. And Rosillo, my old co-host on ESPN, he asked me a couple of times, probably like three or four years ago. And I kind of pushed back and I was like, I don't know. You look at some of the athletic budgets. I don't know if they can handle paying football players. Well, over the last couple of years, I've been like, you know what? They can handle it. They'll be fine. They'll survive. There's enough money to go around when you start seeing billions of dollars in a year being some of the numbers that some of these conferences are going to pull in. So, but I like, I don't think Arch Manning is getting 3.8. I like, I don't think Arch Manning based his decision or his, you know, um, his football career. I don't think it's about that right now. I truly believe Maybe I'm being completely naive that he chose Texas because it was going to be the best place for him to develop under Sark. And it was a place for him opportunity to build a legacy, to bring a championship back to a program. I also think he might get way more than 3.8 because he could sign a deal with his uh, uncles and Peyton and Eli, and they could do some sort of commercial. But 
I like, I don't believe that number either. There's just, there's no way to know accurately until they have to make these contracts public, which they don't, which we don't know. And I know Chan and I had a back and forth and he's like, the collectives have been, you know, very communicative with him as far as revealing what they're paying. I'd say I would just be cautious about some of those numbers that are being thrown around because collectives, they want to be portrayed as a school that's, Hey, we're going to pay whatever we're well, going to do. Florida is the example. I mean, they yeah. overshot right. big time, by the way, Jaden Rashad, according to on three, his NIL valuation is 422,000. That's quite a bit lower than the 13 million figure yeah. for three or four years that Florida agreed to with them. As far as yeah, the, it's, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so it's it, the, the quarterbacks that are going to be high value, Caleb Williams, Shadur Sanders, right? Uh, and, I mean, we're talking about Arch Manning. He's probably – we're not going to see him for a year, you know? Like, where do you put the returning quarterbacks, Danny, right now for college football? And maybe the – who's this year's version of an Anthony Richardson and oh, maybe the opposite of Will Levis? <laughs> All right. So I think it's easy. And I think you're going to see these articles starting as soon as the draft ends, right? This is what, what we do in our business. You'll see mock draft for 2024. And we're all going to look if Anthony Richardson goes top 10. So physical specimen, you know, is going to, you know, has a cannon for an arm, but is incredibly unknown at this point. Joe Milton at Tennessee. Like, I think he will be pegged as the next Anthony Richardson. And I think he'll have an opportunity Unlike Anthony Richardson, who's playing a new system, first-year head coach, and Billy Napier, it was really a struggle, very up and down. Joe Milton has an opportunity. Now, he's obviously got Nico right behind him, you know, pushing him. And if he falters, he may not be the starter. But I think from a physical skill set, uh, skill set, he's got what the scouts are looking for now, which is potential upside. All he has to do is go out there, operate within the system, much like Kendon Hooker did, which will be a challenge. It's not going to be easy. But like the the prototypical who's the next stud potential guy, I think it's Joe Milton at Tennessee. I think he'll be written about in those articles that we should expect in like three weeks as soon as the NFL draft is done. What was the question about Will Levis? Who is the Will Levis? No, no, or who who's the, the opposite? Op the, the guy with the pressure that's not going to live up to the expectation because Will, Will Levis didn't do that last year at Kentucky. Right. So who has the pressure and will live up to it? No, just like – so. Uh, that, that's fair if you want to answer it that way, but I'd like, I feel like Caleb Williams is going to be Caleb Williams. Um, yeah. I don't think the version of Will Levis that's out there lived up to the play on the field, if you know what I mean. Right. Like, I didn't see those right. same results. I think Will Levis is one of the most overhyped quarterbacks of the last decade. Like, I just don't understand how we're just making him an automatic top five pick based on what you see on tape. Um, when you see him, you know, throw at his workout, I think, yeah, it's pretty impressive. He's got the size that you're looking for, but I want to see a quarterback make throws and elevate his team. And I, I, I just, and I also think he's an incredibly bulky quarterback. Like he is like, and he posted the picture, he posted a selfie yeah, and he was jacked. Yeah. And I like Anthony Richardson is jacked too, but that to me is more of a natural, his build is more suitable to that. Will Levis looks like somebody who muscles the football, who has a, a strong arm because he's lifted a lot of weights and he's got quads that rival Saquon Barkley. And I just haven't seen many quarterbacks. Like it's more of a strong arm throw than just a natural release that just comes out easy where it looks effortless. It looks to me like Levis is trying to muscle the ball. And I also don't think he's a very accurate passer. 
the two quarterbacks next year are clearly Caleb Williams and Drake May. And I think they would go one, two this year okay. over Bryce Young and CJ Stroud if they were coming out this year. But I do. So I think Caleb Williams playing in the system. He's a lock. He'll be up there a little bit concerned of a potential uh, drop off for Drake May because he's lost his offensive coordinator. Phil Longo goes to Wisconsin to join Luke Fickle. They're going to try to, you know, replicate what they did at Carolina. So he's got Chip Lindsey coming in, a little bit of a different offense. Josh Downs, one of his better weapons, has gone to the NFL. If the, the Hopefully the defense gets better. So that could be the bright side that he might not have to do as much. But really the end of the season, he kind of limped into the finish the last three or four games. Ironically, right when I started hyping him for the Heisman, I still like Drake May a lot. But like it, they were nine and one, you know, creeping to the top ten. And then the last few games, struggle with interceptions, trying to do a little bit too much. A little bit concerned you could see some drop-off from Drake May. Incredibly talented. I mean, if he was coming out now, again, he'd be at the top. But I wonder if there could be a little bit of a a little bit of a correction for Drake May during the season. Yeah, I love the answer. I mean, it's, it's fun to think about because, I mean, we're ripping Will Levis now, but this time last year, I wasn't. I 100% agree about Joe Milton will be Anthony Richardson all season. A guy that everybody's going to speculate is the number one overall pick, even though he's probably like, not deserving of that. I feel like if Will Levis's family, they must hate me because it sounds like I don't <laughs> like him. I don't like him as a top five pick. Like if he was a second rounder, I'd be like, oh, I get it, man. There's I, I think he's a first upside. rounder. Yeah, I think he's a first rounder. I just don't like the hype where, where we've put him. Right. We're, and maybe it you. is just hype. Like, that's the thing I keep wondering. We had Malik Willis. I was just looking at some yeah. draft boards from, you know, a year ago. Malik Willis was a projected top 10 pick, and he dropped all the way to the third round. There's going to be somebody that drops like that. And I don't think you'll see that dramatic of a drop off, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if you saw Levis drop in the teens, which I think would make a lot more sense, you know, from a franchise standpoint. Danny Cannell always brings it CBS, Series XM, and uh, occasionally with us. We always love having you on, man. We appreciate you. You guys are the best, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks, yeah, Danny. Have a good you. weekend. Danny Cannell. Brings the energy every yeah, time. Man, I love, I love our chats with her because we yeah, just. Yeah, it was terrific. The, the whole NIL back and forth, I haven't looked at it through that lens of the, the scope that he's saying from, okay, but what if the Brinks truck backs up? Because that certainly happens. Yeah. You know, the team owners are the boosters. Hit us up with your thoughts in the chat. Hope you'll subscribe while you're there on YouTube to the Outkick channel where you can get all the shows available to you as we go live, and then you can watch and react uh, if you miss portions of the show as well. Coming up, Major League Baseball, they're extending, in some parks, teams are extending alcohol sales because the games are going too fast. Well, not everybody's on board with that, including one specific player. That's next on Hotline. Hey, I'm a dad, and I know what dads want for Father's Day. They want steak, world-class Omaha steaks. Look, dads deserve top-quality American beef, and that's what you'll get with Omaha steaks as their Father's Day gift. I gift Omaha steaks constantly to guests on my show. Urban Meyer, the football coach, Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach, Kevin Pritchard, general manager of the Indiana Pacers, just to name a few, have received the gift of steak, Omaha steaks from me. Order mouth-watering gift packages starting at just $99, and as a bonus, use promo code DAN 
to get $10 off your order. Give the gift that I give to guests on my show. Mouth-watering gift packages from Omaha Steaks starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Sack up and get your dad something he'll love this Father's Day. Mike Renner is coming up from Pro Football Focus. That's in roughly 30 minutes or so. So, Chad, Matt Strom, the pitcher for the Phillies, says Major League Baseball and the teams that have decided to extend beer sales past the seventh inning, they're wrong for doing so. Um, I don't disagree with the line of thinking here. It is very... it contradicts the whole premise of why they cut off beer sales to begin with. And in the name of the almighty dollar, they're extending it past the seventh inning because games are going too fast and they want you to have another beer. But the whole point of cutting beer sales off at 10 minutes in the, in the third period of an NHL game or in the seventh inning of a Major League Baseball game or however much time in the NFL, whatever, is you sober up before you go drive after the game. And, you, yeah. and, and if you don't drive, you sober up enough to where you don't fight after the game with another fan. And instead, I, it's like, oh, we're not, oh, we're going to lose money on beer. Open it up. I mean, it's so the premise of that. I, I assumed it was law. Like, I thought that it was, there was some, like, byline in a law that these leagues had to do this at a certain time. I didn't know it was just their option. This has taught us it was just an option because now yeah. it's like, oh, we'll just keep beer sales open the whole time. So I get what the player is saying with this. And I think NHL, it's after the second intermission, you can't buy a beer in the whole third period. There's a big rush to the concessions, second intermission, because that's the last time you can purchase anything. Once that third period starts in the NHL, you're done with alcohol sales. Last one I went to, though, was 10 minutes because in the case of overtime – See, now that may have been something that the NHL just said, hey, guys, Maybe. You, you know we can make a little bit more money? Let's extend it for another 10 minutes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the initial policy is in there, and then you, go, you flip it back because the it's games also, are going too fast. You know, this is one where the law of the land trumps the league policy. So, you know, if you get, if you get wasted because you're chugging six beers in the last two innings, then hopefully the authorities will catch you. Like, I don't well, know, it, where does Major League Baseball's responsibility not, end or begin, but, and where does the law of the land take over? But I also think, like, it's more about the number of people they're putting out immediately after a yeah, game it's a, it's the instead volume. of the one individual. The volume. Yeah. yeah. Well, luckily for Major League Baseball, some of these losing okay. markets don't have any fans at games, I, so you don't have to worry about I'm it. I'm not saying I disagree Small what group. teams are doing, but I understand when the player's pointing out the hypocrisy of it. Yeah. Coming up, we've got headlines and Jim Nance going to bat for his great friend, Tony Romo. That's next.